Hello everyone! Welcome to the fourth episode of Kumusta Kumare? My name is Rochelle, a member of Mepisev Philippine team and currently engaged in research about the sex trade and tourism here in Angola City. Hi, and I'm Emma. I'm also from Napisev, Philippines, focusing my work on women workers in the south of Luzon. And I am Mira Yusuf. Quick information about Napisev or the National Asian and Pacific Islander and Bisexual Violence. We are a U.S.-based organization, and our mission is to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities through transformative justice and social change. Last year, we started the Bersama Sama project in the Philippines, Indonesia, and Guam in order for immigrant, refugee, settler communities from Asia and the Pacific to connect to their home countries. By building this relationship, communities will be able to both reconnect with traditional cultural practices and share movement-building strategies. Komusta Kumare is a Bersama Sama Philippines team podcast and a way for our team to discuss issues facing women and girls in the Philippines. For this episode, we will discuss sexual violence, but specifically the rape culture here in the Philippines. This is the first of the two-part episode that we're having for this topic. For as we all know, there is just a lot of ground that we need to cover when it comes to rape culture in general. Like what it is exactly, why it exists and persists, and how do we end it as women and as a society that wants to realize genuine equality and development as a nation. But first, what is sexual violence? Is it rape? Is it just rape? So for Napisev, we define sexual violence or sexual assault as a sexual activity where consent is not obtained or freely given. It occurs anytime a person is forced, coerced, or manipulated into any unwanted sexual activity. There are many types of sexual violence. Not all include physical contact between the victim and the perpetrator or the harm doer. Uh, the range of sexual violence includes rape, incest, sexual exploitation, unwanted or inappropriate sexual contact, child, sex, child sexual abuse, and also sexual harassment. So these are just the examples of it, right? But there are more. Uh, but then as we define sexual violence, we also need to define or discuss consent because there are certain communities that consent might look different. So what does it mean or what does consent really look like, right? So consent means granting permission for something to happen or agreeing to do something. When sex is consensual, it means everyone involved has agreed to what they are doing and has given their permission. Non-consensual sex or sex without someone's agreement or permission is basically, it is sexual assault. So this is the definition that we use in the U.S. And I am assuming that it's the same in the Philippines Emma or Rochelle? Well, yes and no. Here in the Philippines, there is the Anti-Violence Law Against Women and Her Children Act of 2004, which also covers sexual violence with a somewhat similar definition to that in the U.S., but it specifically applies to women and children. Since women in the colonized and occupied Philippines, first by the Spanish and then the Americans, the Japanese, 
And then the Americans again, even up to now as a semi-colony, we experienced extreme forms of exploitation and violence. This law was actually a breakthrough legislation back then because it covers gender-based violence comprehensively. Now, the enforcement, awareness, and impact on pervasiveness of uh, sexual violence or violence against women and children in general is, of course, another matter. As for consent, we would want the Filipino people's awareness about consent to go far and wide, though we all actually know that you can actually say no when anyone, your boss, your teacher, a relative, or even your boyfriend, husband, partner, asks you to have sex if you don't want to, and at any point, meaning you can be kissing and touching, naked even, but if, for whatever reason, you don't want to proceed, you can stop and ask your partner to stop. And that for when your partner says stop, or does not look like she wants to proceed, you just stop. You might ask, how then do we know if she or he wants to have sex or not? Well, look for enthusiastic reactions. It can be an outright yes, and if your partner is enthusiastic about something, you would definitely know. So that is consent. It is freely, enthusiastically given, and any sexual activity without consent is sexual assault or sexual violence. Sadly, though, here in the Philippines, there really is no clear focus on the definition of consent in the current anti-rape law. And because of the evidentiary rules laid out in this law, that is, for the act to be considered rape, it requires the use of force, threat, intimidation, fraudulent machination, or grave abuse of authority by the offender. So, as it stands now, the crime of rape is basically defined through the point of view of the attacker instead of the victim. As we will discuss in a bit, because of these very specific evidentiary rules or requirements, many of the court's decisions, and in fact even as high up as the Supreme Court, were still influenced by rape myths, which then translates to very low rape conviction rates, which, as you may expect, further discourages the victims to report or file cases. And then, of course, there is the issue of our country's very low age of sexual consent. The Philippines' age of consent, which is 12 years old, is the lowest in East Asia and in the Asia-Pacific. It has one of the lowest in the world together with South Africa, Mexico, and Hungary. Nigeria has the lowest age of consent, which is 11 years old. It is uh, ironic, though, that the law says you can give consent to have sex at 12 years old, but you need parents' consent to have yourself tested for HIV or to access contraceptives if you are below 18 years old. Uh, last year, there were moves in the Congress and Senate to adjust the age of consent from 12 to 16 years old, but both House and Senate bills are still in the committee level. And now, of course, all of them are busy with amending the Constitution to remove the term limit provision and giving foreign companies rights to 100% ownership of lands and businesses in the country. So, uh, good luck with that. According to the data of UN Women, 72% of victims of sex trafficking worldwide are women and girls. Four out of five of them were trafficked for the purpose of sexual exploitation. 15 million adolescent girls aged 15 to 19 have experienced forced sexual intercourse or sexual acts at some point in their lives. The study conducted by and said that one in three women will be raped or beaten in her lifetime or that's about one billion hence 
the campaign started by Eve Ensler, if you're familiar with it, uh, One Billion Rising. According to the uh, National Demographic and Health Survey in the Philippines, 1 in 20 women and girls aged 15 to 49 have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. In the same year, Center for Women's Resources released a study stating that according to police reports, there is one woman or child rape every hour in the Philippines from January to October of the year 2016. According to uh, the Philippine National Police data, from March 15 to March 23, and this is during the two months of the lockdown, they received 602 reported cases of rape. So that means eight rape cases a day. PNP or the Philippine National Police bragged that this is lower on the same period last year. But well, of course, there's lockdown and there's no public transportation which made it harder for women to report rape and not to say where will they go after they file the case. So you know it's really bad when the people of authority who are supposed to protect women and children use the power we gave them to commit grave abuses like the case of policeman Eduardo Valencia Valencia, who raped the 15-year-old daughter of detained drug suspects in Manila in 2018. The case of Jason Kurdiamat and his companion who extorted sexual intercourse from a female suspect in exchange of her release. Then there is the case, this is very recent, the case of two policemen from Ilocos who accosted two teenage girls for curfew violations and raped them. One of the victims was gunned down. She was killed by the same policeman days after she filed the complaint. Cases were also filed against PNP, the Philippine National Police Academy officials, over the leaked video of female cadets forced to perform oral sex as part of their hazing. They are teaching rape and how to get away with it as part of how they can perform their duties well. Can I ask one question, Emma? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you mentioned that in the Philippines that the age of consent is 12. Yeah. Um, do you know why? I mean, where did that come from? Uh, from, I think, maybe because that's usually the age where uh, a girl gets her first period, first menstruation, so that you enter adulthood or teenage years or yeah puberty you you stop becoming a child it's like where did that come from right because i'm always wondering like oh, why 12 so an, a 12 year old means that are they an adult they're not right they they're they're children well the current rape law was crafted out of the 1930 revised penal code from the old penal code that was put in place by the Spanish colonizers in 1876 and effective even during the period of American colonization i guess that the same age of sexual consent of 12 would be the same as that of Spain back then so i checked with Wikipedia, and true enough, it was 12. And only in 1999 that they raised it to 13. And then it took another six years in 2015 before they raised it to 16. As for the why, well, there's a really interesting discussion in the Children and Youth and History website. We'll put down the link in our show notes, but let me just summarize that to this. The first mention of the age of consent in secular law was in 1275 England as part of their rape law. 
In it, the article wrote, The statute Westminster 1 made it a misdemeanor to, quote, ravish a maiden within age, unquote, whether with or without her consent. The phrase within age was interpreted by jurist Sir Edward Coke as meaning the age of marriage, which at the time was 12 years of age. And then, but then now there's a move to raise the age of consent to 18 mm, years old. Mm-hmm. That is what's going on in the Philippines. Mm. Is that what's that based, right, Emma? Yes. There's yeah, a complaint, yeah. right? Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, there are um, bills, both in the Senate and the Congress, to adjust the, the age of consent to 16. Oh, um, 16. Okay. On the other hand, there's also a um, pending bill which lowers the criminal age is that how you call it the the juvenile justice justice um yeah yeah what yeah so yeah. to be a juvenile what age is it under 18 uh, right yeah they 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 are trying to lower it down to nine oh my what oh nine. my god yeah. why oh my god no that's yeah it, <laughs> oh they want to jail nine-year-olds yeah. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So okay, so we use uh, sexual assault and sexual violence interchangeably. Yes. So okay. what happens is like there are folks who like who likes the word sexual assault, but for Napisev we like the word sexual violence because it really mm. it it's more descriptive to what's going. It's a violence, mm. right? Assault seems very parang hindi as much. I don't know. It's less to us, like when we were thinking about like which word do we use. It's mm-hmm. the same as victims and survivors. There mm-hmm. are folks who would say, I have not survived sexual violence because it is still triggering. It's still in me. I cannot forget about it. So therefore I'm still a victim. But then there are folks who would say, No, I'm now a survivor of it because I am like in the path of healing or whatever. So there's also that the words are important, the way that you call people. Same as like perpetrator harm doers right because mm. if you have this concept that people can change then we can just say the person who did harm instead of someone who is a rapist someone who is this someone who is that because that shouldn't be a label for them because they might change in the future especially for like juveniles who had been um so it's like the the way you call people right. you know you want right. them to change so you need to call them in a certain way where it's just about the action and not about the person is that yeah. making sense Perfect. yeah 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 All right then, let's talk about some unbelievably common assumptions about rape, what these imply and how by actually believing or even spreading any of these myths, we may unwittingly be promoting rape culture. I think it is important that we dispel these myths at every opportunity. So while I was doing research for this episode, I found that there are a lot of really good information about rape myths and the rape culture connection. But this brilliant resource on the website of the Crown Prosecution Service in the UK really stood out for me. This is actually a legal guidance for prosecutors on how to recognize and challenge these myths uh, when they encounter them in the jury room. But first, what is a myth? According to this legal guidance, a myth is a commonly held belief, idea, or explanation that is not true. 
It arises from people's needs to make sense of acts that are senseless, violent, or disturbing. They attempt to explain events, like, for example, rape and abuse, in ways that fit with our preconceived ideas about the world. They arise from and reinforce our prejudices and stereotypes. So I'll read some of these uh, rape myths and then tell me what you think, okay? Rape occurs between strangers in dark alleys. What do you think? That is not that that is not true, right? Because rape happens usually at home. Um, the majority of cases are someone that you uh, you know or you're acquainted with, and it's not some stranger in a dark alley. Yes, exactly. Well, there may be instances where a harmdoer is a stranger to the victim. It is in most cases. In fact, some studies even say as high as. 90% in the U.S., rape is perpetrated by someone she or he knows quite well, like a former or current intimate partner, a relative, and it happens in places that you would expect as safe, you know, like in the victim's home, workplace, their car, at school, parks, in prisons even. In Europe, the most common rape location is the home of the victim or the perpetrator. So here in the Philippines... I read somewhere that experts say that only as much as 6% of all incidents of rape or sexual assault is actually reported. Also, women who are raped by someone they know are less likely to report than women raped by strangers. So maybe this is another reason why when we read about sexual assault in the news, the reported perpetrator is usually a stranger or unknown to the victim. It's also about controlling women's, uh, like it's controlling, like you're not supposed to be going outside, right? So, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a control. It's a control mechanism, in my opinion. And that's why there was a movement of Take Back the Night in the US. Take Back the Night is part of uh, back in the, I think, early 80s, uh, women who are part of the movement to end gender-based violence, specifically rape, they have this rally called Take Back the Night. And usually it happens in March, where women take the street at night and they have this um, like a rally. That was the, the radical root of Take Back the Night. But now it becomes this just um, people speaking at, on campuses about sexual violence. But to its very beginning, to its, it's very radical because women will just take, you know, like a, they will just do rallies and do things at night to just to talk about sexual violence. So it's something uh, that's always been part of the women's movement in the U.S. specifically uh, of taking back the night because this is something that, you know, like you're not supposed to be walking at night. It's part of the um, so the myth, right? To kind right. of like end those myths, they have to do something. Perpetrator of rape is not usually a stranger. It's someone that you know. It will happen at your own home. It will happen during date rape. During like right. at someone's, yeah, because you went to someone's house. Mm. The ambience has nothing to do with the rape. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah, well, wherever you are, if there's a person who wants to do you harm, it can happen. So it can happen inside your home. It can happen outside. It can happen anywhere. So the place has nothing to do with... If it's dark, if it's daytime, if it's night, if if someone wants to do you harm, then that person will do you harm. Okay, so now it's clear. 
Rape usually occurs at home, at your workplace, at school, anywhere, and is often planned. The idea that rape occurs between strangers in dark alleys goes all the way back to the times during the Spanish colonization when women were considered nothing more than properties of their husbands or their fathers if unmarried, and that no one else, especially other men, should be allowed to have a look at them. Instead, they should just be staying at home, minding the children, cooking their meals, cleaning the house, and not to be out and about alone at night. Only quote-unquote improper women go out at night and alone. So if they do go out, they'll get raped, and that's their fault. So let's stop blaming the victims, okay? Let's not justify the actions of those who harm them, who harms us. Myth. Women provoke rape by the way they dress or act. What do you think? Of course, it's not true. Wrong. The way, the way you dress, the way you dress or how you act. So I think this is just another excuse to control women. I, I think a lot of this rape myth is a way to control women, don't you think? Because it's like it's yes. like you're supposed to be you're the one who's wearing short skirt. You're wearing jeans. That's why you were assaulted. Um, so for me, it, it it this myth were created in order to again to control women's and girls movement, like moving in society. Right? You're supposed to dress this way. You're supposed to not walk late at night. You're not you know. So yeah. Yeah. This idea again dates back to the time of Spanish colonization don't you think like women were compelled to wear clothes that cover their skins because all women and girls are like eve was to adam she seduced him and caused adam to sin this is why there are very clear expectations of how a woman should dress act or go if they ever go to church or go to the plaza or go to a gathering they're supposed to wear really conservative clothing and that not even their what do you call that? Talampakan in English? Soles, soles of your feet. Feet, yeah. You're not even supposed to show the soles of your feet. The fact is, just because I wear what I want to wear, it does not mean that I'm giving the consent to have sex with any person that I encounter, right? And fact is, too, being raped has nothing to do with what the victim was wearing. Over 50% of all reported cases of rape involves children. They could be wearing school uniform or work attire, basic jeans and t-shirts, and still they get raped. So only the perpetrator is responsible for the rape. When you speak about she was raped because of the way she dresses or the way she acts, it is another form of victim blaming, uh, slut shaming, and by being guilty of any of these, you're actually enabling the harm-doer, taking his side and allowing the violence to continue. This sustains the rape culture, that we as a society allows this to persist. Okay, 
women who drink alcohol or use drugs are asking to be raped. No. <laughs> Again. Again. I have, I have every bit of the same right to get drunk <laughs> as any man, right? I can drink however much alcohol I want the same way that um, my, my guy friend drinks or, you know, my husband drinks. Mm-hmm. It, it has nothing to do with uh, me being a woman. Yes. And, and yeah, definitely. Again, just want to like keep on like saying this that again, this myth are again to like control women again, you know, that we're not supposed to be drinking alcohol. Yeah. Again, this is very common here. I remember reading about a case of a young girl who was gang raped because she went out drinking with a bunch of guy friends. And just reading all the comments in social media about the victim, blaming her, accusing her, judging her. Grabe. The fact is, being vulnerable, it does not imply consent. Yes. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm consuming an awful amount of wine right now. And I can tell you, I can tell everybody that I'm not asking to be raped tonight or anytime. Just because I'm drinking wine. I, I just want to sleep well tonight after this recording. <laughs> right. And why do we have to explain ourselves, right? <laughs> that uh, we, we want to drink. Men don't do that. Do we question why men drink? So yeah, you're right, Mira. This is another way for uh, yeah, and, to control women. Yeah, and on the other hand, men use it as an excuse mm. that, that they were under the uh, influence of alcohol or drugs. That's why they was able to do that. And now they're using it against women. So you're drinking with, with men. So it seems like you're, you're, asking, you're asking for it. Because men cannot control themselves when they're drinking. So you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation because it's men who drink are not able to um, to make the right decision. Is that what you're saying? It's like they can yeah. it'd be an excuse yeah. that they can that's, say that's, like, that's yeah. their okay. excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And they actually use that excuse in like court proceedings. You'll be amazed. Yeah. And so then, then there are judges, <laughs> and then there are judges yeah. who actually who actually you know accept these excuses. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are. <laughs> yes. oh, because, we, because we keep on repeating this, this uh, myth, right? We keep on repeating it and repeating it that they become so acceptable that we don't even question them. Like, yeah, that's why. Until, that, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's why it becomes a culture. Yeah. It's yes. normalized, right? So that's yeah. why it's become a myth. It's- Oh, how about this one? Which one? If she didn't scream, fight, or get injured, it wasn't rape. <sighs> yeah, when I was still with Migrante, we often hear this from embassy officials. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that uh, you were raped because you did not uh, fight hard enough. Or you. it is impossible that... Um, uh, your employer raped you because you're still alive. Because you would be dead if you fought hard. 
we would be now dead if you fought hard. So that's that's what we hear very often from embassy officials when I was still with Migrante and we are um, uh, reporting cases of rampant cases of rape committed against Filipino domestic uh, workers, especially in, in the Middle East. So we hear that very often. Grabe naman yun. Mm, grabe. Tapos, when we are reporting, kasi maraming mga ano eh, parang mga mag-start sa mga fundling, ganyan, sisilipan yung, yung mga domestic workers nila habang naliligo. So, nag alarm na namin yung mga welfare welfare officials. Ang sasabihin nila, ay may kutsilyo naman siguro sa bahay nila. So, pwede na siyang, pwede naman niyang ipagtanggol yung yung sarili niya. So, kailangan ipagtanggol mo yung sarili mo para hindi ka ma-rape, parang ganon. Uh, the 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 burden is also is also is is again on the women. If you don't want to be raped, then you should fight hard or die for it, right? Because yeah. basically that yeah. that's the end of it is like you're supposed yeah. to die. You're supposed to like um, fight for your dignity, right? The dignity is your vagina or whatever, right? So therefore, it's like, if you didn't fight to protect mm. your own physical self, so therefore, it's your fault, because you didn't fight. But then in a lot of ways, this doesn't, a lot of, um, then a lot of folks need to understand what tra- what is trauma, and what is, uh, how our body reacts when we are in danger, right? So folks have diverse reaction responses to trauma or if you feel like you're unsafe you either fight flight freeze and then there's the one is fawn so therefore a woman will not be able to scream if she feels if, if she's being assaulted because her body reacted in a way where it's basically like frozen because she can't nothing comes out of her mouth right she cannot scream so therefore it is not her fault if she didn't if she was assaulted um, if she was assaulted because she did not scream. So there's just like, I, I think there's just a lot of uh, a need for education about how our body responds to trauma itself. Yeah, I remember when we were discussing this, I think with Nina, right? There are so many different ways that your body reacts. Or maybe like in the cases of domestic workers in the Middle East, they hear a lot about the domestic workers who ends up being in jail after they fight against the sexual abuse of their employers. So instead of their employers being jailed, it is them who are then treated like criminals, right? Yeah, you're so right about that. I, I didn't even think about like, um, they will just accept what's happening to them because they don't want to be in jail or they don't right. want to be. So that's why I think it's so complex, that, right? When we're talking about mm. sexual violence in itself, there's so much complexity in it because we're not in the situation. Each individual right. will have different like reaction to it. So in order to survive, if you want to survive, you will just like, you're not, you, you don't want, you don't want to die, right? So you're of just course. like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, um, I, but I can't fight. But what's going to happen to me if I even report it? Because I'm going to be the person who's going to be in jail. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Emma, what do you think? Yeah, uh, because I, I remember uh, 18 years ago when I was in that same situation. I was eight months pregnant. And the only thing that I was thinking about uh, was 
my 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 son needs to live i i he needs to survive so i i can fight them well eventually i they know that they're going to kill me but i saw that i i think that there's this small chance that they will let me um uh be free or they will uh free me eventually if i don't fight them so uh it's it's one of the reasons why i did not fight uh those who sexually abused me and um another thing um there's i'm not against uh teaching women self-defense in order to defend themselves in any case that they will be assaulted sexually or whatever um but i think um there there has to be some clarifications about it um it is it should not be the uh women should not be burdened uh so that they will not be raped so it is okay to teach uh children or women how to defend themselves but at the same time it should be very clear that uh it is not uh on them on their shoulders um yeah I, yeah like um <laughs> yeah, yeah parang, i love uh, that i love yeah. that go ahead Rochelle. Yeah, it's like, like, um, are you going to blame yourself? Because hindi ka natuto ng uh, kung fu or karate nung merong gustong mag-assault sa'yo, di ba? Yeah, oo. Yeah, and I, I think that's the danger of, um, for me anyway, that's the danger of um, just telling women, learn, mar- learn uh, self-defense, learn self-defense so you can protect yourself. But in reality, just like what you said, Emma, it's like the burden is upon us, right? Instead of telling men or potential perpetrators to say, don't, don't rape. rape, right? That's yeah. how simple that is, right? Uh, so for me, I think that's so, I, I love the way that you said that, Emma, about like, um, about really critically uh questioning even like this promotion of learn you know learn learn a self-defense learn martial arts in order to stop rape no i think it's it's more like the social change that we need to do we need to change the way uh like the just talking about the rape myths right so we need to like talk about that in order to end rape culture because it's part of it so yeah thank you for bringing that up that was important Okay, so another myth. You can tell if she's really been raped by how she acts. What does that mean? You can tell if she's really been raped by how she acts. What, what, like you- like it. So reactions to rape are highly varied and individual, and many women experience a form of shock after a rape that leaves them emotionally numb or flat and apparently calm. You're supposed to be hysterical. So yeah. To be seen as you you were really raped. Yeah, perhaps there is this notion like, because like in the old movies, right? There's this idea that people who have been raped shouldn't be calm. But yeah. just like, maybe, go ahead, Emma. Yeah, maybe they're expecting you to act like 
Sisa. <laughs> yeah. Sisa is yeah. what? What is yeah. Is that a movie? Sisa is a, uh, a character in uh, Jose Rizal's No Limitangere. She was abused by the Guardia Civil and she went crazy looking for her two children. So maybe people are expecting women who were raped to act like they're hysterical out of their minds or crying or helpless sometimes uh, my my lawyer friend told me about this that um a woman who was raped only managed to file a case after several years so her testimony was questioned just because she did not report it immediately to the authorities so maybe um it's another way of how how you say that you should act in a certain way yeah But then, just like Rochelle was saying earlier about how um, the reaction or, or the, you know, like the way that a person, an individual uh, will act or will react after the violence happens will be depending on that person. So there's this diverse responses, right? So there's no one response. It could be like, yes, a woman can go crazy because of what had to happen to them, but a woman can also be as calm. Or a person will be as calm, or a person would like not want to face it, and maybe in five years, then she is ready to talk about it. So there's just so many different responses. You know, I, I love the way that you brought up Sisa. How maybe Filipinos, you know, are just kind of like you're supposed to act like Sisa if you had been really sexually assaulted or if you had been really raped. But in reality, there's a very diverse way of you know diverse responses because we are. Diverse individuals, so therefore we will react differently. And if we uh, go back to the UN data, one out of three uh, have been um, sexually assaulted or abused in their lifetime. That's one billion women acting crazy. <laughs> so if they're expecting women to be like Sisa, if they've been really abused or assaulted, so that's one billion women acting crazy. Okay, how about this? Only gay men get raped, or only gay men rape men. Definitely not true, right? No. Okay, Emma, you talk about it. Another case when I was still with migrante Don Don Lanuza, he was raped by a friend while he was in Saudi Arabia. He's not gay. But he was uh, raped. He killed his rapist. That's why he was sentenced to death by beheading. He was not beheaded. It was a successful campaign. He served. I don't. I don't remember how many years in prison. But he was. I think it was during the Ramadan because usually during Ramadan, the King of Saudi Arabia pardons some prisoners. So he was one of those who were pardoned by the king during the time of Ramadan. He was raped because I was able to talk to him. Um, he said that his Arab friend went to his apartment. Uh, brought liquor and porn. They were watching porn and they were drinking and then he was raped. He, he stabbed his uh, friend and he died and he was arrested. He was charged with killing his friend 
but later on he was he was pardoned so so that's not true that only gay men get raped or that gay men rape men right um because so i was in the philippines i remember talking to this filipino guy at some i think it was like a, a gas station because i was getting my car fixed or something like that and then we started mm. talking about that he used to work in the middle east right and then i was talking about like why i'm in the philippines i think I, when i was doing my fulbright stuff right and then he he meant he just said this he's like you know it's not just women that get raped in the middle east i was like what do you mean it's like also men who work there do you know that i um as Filipino men, when we are there, I think that is the, we're also scared of being raped or sexually assaulted by, by men, by Arab men, because it happens a lot, right? And I was like, wow. So I, I think that is also, but it doesn't mean that the men who rape other men are gay, right? Or that the men that they have raped are gay. So I think this is just a, a way of men of controlling other men also like how they will also see certain men as less than so for me this is really a myth because you cannot just state that or there's even a myth that's kind of connected to it where lesbians become lesbians because they were raped or they were treated mm -hmm. by men badly that's why they became lesbians so i for me that's like kind of like same as this Mm. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, as if like you're an LGBT, you're, 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 you're lesbian or from the uh, LGBTQ community because this happened to you. But in reality, no. But then sexual violence in itself, it's not just women who are being sexually assaulted. It's also men, boys and someone who are like not straight. Right. So mm. it's also yeah. diverse. Yeah. So by implication, when you think like only gay men get raped or only gay men rape men, it reinforces homophobic fears, right? And prejudices. And it also creates the illusion of safety for straight men, like, okay, I'm straight, I won't get raped. But men of all sexual orientation get raped, like you said. Based on data, men who rape other men are often heterosexual. They usually have a relationship with a woman, according to this list that we're following. So rapists rape other men as part of their violence and their need for power, dominance, and control, just like what you said. So what they do is, when they think like this, they re-traumatize and stigmatize the male survivors. This is why there are very few reported cases of straight men being raped, because they don't want to go through the trauma once again and then be stigmatized. Okay, you're a man. How can you be raped? You were raped. You must be gay. Like yeah. That, oh, how come right? you didn't fight back? You're a man. How come you didn't fight back? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. You're right because then it it the men will then men or boys will not report because of no, the way won't. that we see what masculinity means. It contravenes you know all the expectations of what a man should be like, right? Especially here in the Philippines, where we still have a very strong macho culture. So, um, like, with this outlook, it will make uh, a straight 
male victim feeling sort of like um, less than a man. So maybe uh, the report might be more or the numbers will be more because maybe they're not reporting. Yes, it is very much underreported. In fact, one study in the UK in 2015 shows that 96% of male assaults go unreported. Because we make it not safe for men to report if they had been assaulted. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another myth. Prostitutes cannot be raped. Um, just because you are an individual who are part of the sex trade or in this, you know, like doing sex work doesn't mean that you want to be raped. Just because you had slept with someone uh, prior doesn't mean that the next time that you want to sleep with this person, whether paid or unpaid, uh, the next time doesn't and you don't want it doesn't mean that that is not considered so again this you know yeah Yeah. just because you're getting paid for it doesn't mean that you cannot consent to it right so this is really just another excuse for abuse i mean prostitutes or sex workers they have the same rights with regards to consent as anyone or everyone else It doesn't mean that you have sex for a living or that this is your source of income, that it's okay for you to get raped. Rape is never okay. Okay. And there is no deadline for consent. Women, even sex workers, can say no at any and all times to strangers, to their customers, to their boyfriend, husband, or partner. If there is no consent, it's rape. Yeah, and and also like, um, again, it's about the consent, right? Just like you said, Rochelle. Um, so, and, and also I think with this, um, for sex worker or individuals who are in the sex trade or prostitutes, if you said yes to a certain sexual act, fine. Cause there's a consensual to that. Right. But if that person did something to you that you're not consenting to do, that is basically raped. Yes. Is that making sense? So if, if, yeah, so for me, it's not just like prostitutes cannot be raped, but it's also about like, you know, what are the acts that you're going to be doing if you are in that situation? So definitely just because you had Mm. sex with them in this way and then they did something that you did not, like, for example, if they did not, you said you wanted a, you know, they, you wanted them to use a condom and Mm. then they took it out. For me, that is rape. Because you're not consenting of a sexual act without that condom. Right. So And explicitly you already said that, that right? That so you won't be doing it without yeah. But then but then if you are yeah. in the trade and then you had been sexually assaulted or raped, can you then really go to the police to to state that? Because police will say but you're a prostitute. You're prostitute. How could you be raped? Mm. Right. So they again will not mm. report. So all this uh, all this myth also had is also has an effect in how the reason why individuals will not report rape because of all this myth that that continues, right? So then someone yes. who's a prostitute will not be you know will be afraid to to just say I'd been raped. And um, in the Philippines, right? yeah. yeah, in the Philippines, you you really can't say that because here prostitution is Legal. a crime. Yeah, 
yeah, it's illegal. So uh, how can you report that? Like, um, uh, hello, Mr. Police. I am with this client and he raped me. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you're the one who's going to go to jail for reporting, you know? Yeah. Okay, last now. Here. If the victims didn't complain immediately, it wasn't rape. I, I think um, we already talked so, about it. That uh, people expect you to report immediately, not recognizing the fact that you have your own ways of dealing with the trauma or different ways or different types of experiencing experiencing trauma. So it's... The, the 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 victim's uh, testimony will be questioned immediately not recognizing the fact that people have different ways of coping with trauma and a child can the child report mm. the child might not even know what's what that means that they think it's just something that normal right but in reality it's not and it can be because of shame, shock, yeah. So yeah, just like what Emma said, there mm, are yeah. different ways for victims to be able to complain or even share what happened to them, right? Also, you know, j- just because like uh, reporting or disclosure for me are two different things, right? So, um so a, a person, an individual who had been sexually assaulted, like let's say 20 years ago, and now have disclosed, but, um, or maybe had reported to, I, I think when I think about report, it's more like uh, law enforcement or mm. some kind of like just, like the justice system, right? But mm. disclosure is a disclosure is like, you're just sharing those experiences. So it yeah. can be like friends or family members, right? Yeah. The disclosure can happen 10 years after the fact. Mm. But I think what sometimes is missing with this conversation of sexual violence is about what kind of justice does a victim, a survivor wants. And I think sometimes this is where it comes very complex. That's why sometimes individuals who had been sexually assaulted will not report it because sometimes the one who had assaulted you is someone that your family member uh, yeah. someone that you care about, right? So therefore, it, it's that complexity that makes it harder for someone to report. Or And so then this question is then, what does what is the justice? What kind of justice do you want as an individual who had been assaulted or victimized? Is that kind of, yeah. So it, yes. it, this whole thing about if the victim didn't complain immediately, it wasn't raped. Because like it's kind of connected to like the stranger in the dark alley, right? It, it's not the stranger in the dark alley, but it's someone who's living in your own home. It's someone that you're dating. It's someone who's like you might be even married to. So now we know that sexual assault does not happen because a woman is walking alone and late at night in a dark alley. We now know that statistically the perpetrator or the harmdoer is usually someone personally known to the victim or survivor and rarely a stranger. We also know that it is not because a woman is wearing short skirts or ultra short shorts or 
went on a drinking or pot session with friends because we also know that anyone, women, girls, men, boys, LGBTQI, and even the elderly are also victims of sexual violence. Many times, the victim survivor don't even realize that what he or she experienced was sexual violence and most societies are silent about it. All of those rape myths that we just discussed contribute to the silencing of victim survivors of sexual violence and also just to control women. This myth supports rape culture. What I know from doing advocacy on sexual violence is its complexity, especially as we dig deeper. We will have more questions than answers. We can take more than an hour discussing the definition of rape, sexual violence, consent, hours in discussing about reporting and disclosures, questions such as, is an increase in reporting good? Does it imply that victims are being heard, seen, or believed? Is it a good practice to broaden the definition of rape and sexual violence? We can take more hours or even days in discussing and deconstructing rape myth and rape culture. But what we know is that it is crucial that we create safe and brave spaces in having conversation about it. Hence, this is the first of our two segments, or maybe three segments, on sexual violence. At our next episode, part two of our discussion on ending rape culture in the Philippines, we will talk more about why sexual assault or sexual violence happen, and why are most societies silent about it? What exactly is rape culture, its historical roots, and what can we do to end it? What is this hashtag Ihako movement? And why do we need to promote it and all other initiatives like it? We are also very excited to have as our guests Carla Ocampo and Lester Valle, the creators of Walang Rape Sabon Talk, to talk about their film and their opinion about the rape culture in the Philippines. So you won't want to miss that. Listen and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And until then, have a great month ahead. See you at our next episode and stay safe. This podcast is supported by the Noble Foundation.